Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Better Golf Podcast. With me, as always, at Tee Off Sports, Spencer Aguiar. Spencer, we got the Charles Schwab Invitational, maybe, or whatever they're calling it. I don't even know. But how are we doing today? Doing well. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. The Charles Schwab Challenge. That is it. I would have never guessed that. I would have said championship second and then no third word third. But um, PGA Championship last week, Phil Mickelson, 250 to one at most books. We did not have that, but I'm going to come out and say it. It was the week of Chan Kim. I haven't heard of this guy in years, but I know he's been playing really, really well on the uh, Japan Tour. I think he's at right now, but like we said last week, we even brought it up to Behrman. I don't know if he's heard of the guy in 10 years either, but it happened. Chan Kim, top 40, the bomb of the week at plus 750 to finish top 40. We should have took him to finish top 30. He finished tied for 23rd. I just uh, want to thank you, Chan. I'm sure you're a loyal listener, so thank you very much for that. You played your ass off on Saturday and Sunday. I think Saturday he went like one over, but he was striking the ball so damn well, and that course was playing hard. I think he shot minus five on Sunday to just put an exclamation point on it. It was a hell of a week. We'll get into it. But thoughts on Chan Kim Spencer. We got to get the uh, the rabbit out of the hat earlier. Elephant in the room. I'm bad with sayings, but you guys get what I'm saying. I texted you on Sunday night after it happened. And I was telling you, like, you know, people m- probably mentioned Mickelson for one reason or another. I can't imagine. I would bet an egregious amount of money that Chan Kim wasn't mentioned on any show throughout the entire industry whether that be for a good reason a bad reason like you were the only one so you're the chan kim <laughs> whisperer at this point and uh that is about as impressive as it gets in a top 40 market <laughs> i'm sure i got lucky but whatever whatever error my model had that week to show chan kim close enough to finish top 40 to find a value on a ticket i absolutely love it i hope chan's parents or girlfriend whatever his situation is in life that they bet on him as well, just so we weren't alone, but that was that was awesome. I think that's probably – I mean, I've had much bigger hits in life, but, like, that had to be the most random, awesome gambling story I've probably had. Just because, like, all my friends who don't even bet golf, they're like, all right, what are you doing? It's a major. They're going to be sitting around the house and watching it. Like, all of my friends got on chain cam and started making jokes on Twitter, like, how's your ticket looking and everything like that. Like, they all took it, so it happened. Um, the good for me last week – We'll go pretty quick. It was awesome. I like this is one of the best weeks I've ever had. Paul Casey, top 40. I think we got him damn near even money on FanDuel. That was an easy one. Keegan Bradley, Charlie Hoffman, Kevin Streelman, none other than Chan Kim. And who was the other one? I think that was pretty much it of all the top 40s I had that hit. I lost on Cockrack, or Cockrack, Varner, Matt Wallace. I will be going to the well on both of those guys this week. And my outrights were just trash. I had Xander or Paul Casey pretty much everywhere. I think I had another ticket on Charlie Hoffman to win. He played so well, too. But, man, I had a lot of DFS exposure to a chalky Daniel Berger, which I hate, but I was kind of getting different elsewhere with players. And then Xander Shoffley. What the hell happened to those guys? And then I kind of want to get your thoughts on your ticket last week. I don't know. I mean, I just think it's, you know, golf's a volatile sport. It's kind of hard to predict, like, Thomas was number one in my model. Xander was number two. You would think at a ball strikers course that Xander is not going to miss the cut. Like Thomas always has some level of volatility with him just because, I mean, you never know what you're going to exactly get. If the putter goes ice cold, anything can happen there, but I don't know. I'm chalking it up just as a outlier type finish that, 
you know, as you said, it kind of ruined some of your DFS lineups with it. But, you know, one of the things we always mention from the betting perspective of it is like we're never going to be tied down to one better one guy. So you crossed the top 40 market. You found success there. And as you said, it's one of the better weeks that you've had with it. So, like, that's really all you can ask for. Yeah, hell yeah. I forgot about JT, too. I had him a lot of places. It was kind of like my my star was JT, and then if I wasn't playing a star, I was going down to Xander or Berger, and I know Berger ended up making the cut, but, man, it, it was just bad overall for those guys. But how was your week? Anything uh, worth, I mean, not as, worth writing not home as about? Well as yours went, I'll tell you that. Like, I don't know. These first two majors for me have kind of mimicked what John Rahm does at these majors. Like, I shoot myself out of it, like, on the opening day, and I try to play catch-up going forward, and then – I have these mad dashes back on Sunday to where I kind of get myself back into contention to an extent. But, you know, there was a lot of a lot of swings for me late in that tournament that just ended up giving me a losing week with it. Like Kokrak was in 10th place or whatever he was in at, at a given point on that round on Sunday. He makes an eight there early and just implodes himself out of the top 40. That was a, a three unit swing for me. So that's that's uh, like I lost two point eight zero units on the week. That's essentially what decided the winning or the losing week for me. Varner Wallace, as you mentioned for yourself, those were two guys that couldn't quite get up there. Joel Damon, another guy that just couldn't quite get there. And then I lost my big head-to-head play of Thomas over Rory. And, you know, like I guess when you when you lose 1.4 units there, and that's the big one of the week that you have, it's going to be hard to make it up completely. And I didn't have any in-tournament plays. I kind of just watched the tournament. I The event was a little up and down for, for what I thought was going on. I just figured it was one of those weeks that I didn't really want to become invested in, in any of the in-tournament plays. Not, nothing was clicking the first two days. On the third day, I, I found something, which ironically would have lost, so I'm happy I didn't add it. And then uh, the outrights, I was just too overexposed from what it wants, what I want to be with it. Like I, I, I pretty much lost 1.49 units there. That's uh, way too high of a total. Like I, I like trying to be in the range where I'm less than a unit. I'm trying to win, you know, eight to 12 times that amount. And when I'm putting myself in a spot where there's 1.5, like, yeah, it's a major. Yeah, it was fun. But those errors add up. And that's like, you know, everybody makes small mistakes. And the, the thing you're trying to do is limited. And the one that killed me, unfortunately, with it is I added Xander to my ticket late. And I just didn't have room for that. And so Xander didn't even come close. None of my outrights were anywhere in contention where I could hedge back at a given point on it. So it was just one of those weeks where things didn't seem to go right for me. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's happened the first two majors of the year. But no real complaints with it. I'm still up a little over 40 units on the year. But, you know, I'd like to get back to the winning ways. Yeah, I think we're we're due for a really big week just combined here. So we got the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial Country Club in Fort, I think it's right by Fort Worth, Texas, 7,200 yards. So a complete differently, uh, completely different course than last year. It's par or than last week. I'm sorry. It's par 70. Previous winners are Daniel Berger in 2020, Kevin Na in 2019, Justin Rose 2018, Kevin Kisner 2017, and Jordan Spieth 2016. So it screams ball strikers course. Honestly, I was so heavy waiting on Tita Green approach and around the green that's literally all i'm about this week off the tee not very important to me there's not a ton of trouble here and then putting is kind of whatever obviously like you you want someone with a hot putter a hot putter can always win a tournament but guys that strike the ball well this is a second shot golf course second and third shot golf course i guess in my opinion that's kind of how i'm waiting it but uh what are the metrics for you probably the same i'm I'm assuming it's yeah like one way to look at colonial there's so much course history here and that's all it screams 
Yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I weighted six categories this week. So my, I guess I have the first three are all the same. It's 20%. So I have 20% on strokes gain T to green. I, I want complete players and I like getting the agra- around the green metric included into that category. Um, you know, the, the one thing with using that is you do slightly double weigh certain categories by doing that. But I think that's the most complete statistic. So if I'm going to double weigh, I'd rather do it from there. I have weighted par four for 20%. of that number looks at par four scoring between 350 to 400 yards over a player's last 50 rounds. The last 60% takes into account scoring from 400 to 450. You know, you have a few holes that stretch slightly longer than that, but you essentially get all 12 between that range. So I want to look for guys that can, you know, get T to green. I want to look for guys that can score on par fours. And then the last one, which is how I sometimes split up my ball striking is I have 20% GIR percentage and 15% total driving. So that's just two separate categories that I'm looking for ball striking. Um, it allows me to get a little bit of a higher aggregate percentage than I would for just ball striking alone with that. So when I have ball striking courses, like rather than just weighing ball striking for 25%, I like kind of taking a combination of the two, making it 35%. As you said, this is a ball strikers course. I'm looking for ball strikers here. And that kind of allows me to be a little overweight by weighing two categories there. And then the last two, I have weighted proximity from over 100 yards for 15%. About 90% of irons at this course come from over 100 yards. So I redistributed proximity ranges to mimic the historical trends from that. So uh, just as a quick little recap, 13.5% of my weight for that comes from 100 to 125, 23% from 125 to 150, 27.5% from 150 to 175. 20% 20% from 175 to 200, and then 16% from 200 plus. And then I wrapped it up with strokes gain total on bet grass over the last 15, or the last 50, sorry, rounds for 10%. I dislike using straight putting. That's not something that I'm usually going to do. I looked at bent grass over that. I think you get a little bit of putting incorporated into that. And I'd rather find guys that seem to like the grass surface and you know, we're looking for people that can get hot with the putter. So find me a ball striker, find me somebody that's going to hit a bunch of greens in regulation. And hopefully we can find somebody who gets hot with the putter for four days. Can it be more cows week? That's what I've been asking myself. He showed up as number one on my model, obviously in a ball strikers course, that's likely going to be the case with how good he is, but I'll, let's get right into it. Top fades of the week for Spencer. I really don't have too many, but I'll get into maybe two or three after I hear from you, but yeah, let's go. Who do you got? Who are yeah, you I, off of? Let's say, who do you not got? Not have. I, I guess this would be more of a, of a DFS fade than anything else here. I, I'm off of Cameron Tringali this week. I was kind of surprised how low he was in my model. He was 47. Oh, I just I punched mind. an 80 to one out right now really? as we were talking. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I mean, like, the thing is, is, like, if you take away the last two results, it's not that bad. And, and maybe it's not as poor of a wager in the outright market from it. I mean, granted, it is the guy who can't seem to win on tours. So, I mean, there's always that to be said with it. But the, the way I view it is, like, It's 12% ownership on DraftKings. He's 23rd place on his price tag there. He's a guy for me that's 42nd, so he's pretty much double that. I'm willing to fade that on DraftKings when 12% of people are going to play him and I feel like I can get an edge by, you know, you know, going elsewhere with it. Um, You know, a little bit of what he did at the PGA Championship, I would say that that's more of an outlier. He shot an 82 on Friday. That was a 
about as bad as you're going to get. I mean, he imploded for a five or six hole stretch there. Yeah, I mean, that's the one guy. I don't have a head-to-head bet against him. I guess that's more of a of a DFS play than anything else. But I'm curious to hear who your fades are. Right now, I have, I mean, my model loves Tringale, but if I put in recent form, he falls apart. So I don't know, maybe something's going on with that swing. I kind of just want to throw away last week as a whole to everybody, even like Phil Mickelson, obviously it helped him. It's But the week before that, what, what did he do? He was pretty bad at the Wells Fargo, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't make the cut at the Wells Fargo. So that is a tournament I, I think everybody had really high hopes for him on. So maybe I'll reevaluate with Cameron Tregali a little bit. But, I'm yeah, I'm with you 100% on the DFS side of things. I think if he's going to be 12% owned, a guy like that in that low 8K range, definitely worth fading. And I'll just get my exposure through an 80 to 1 outright ticket because it looks like the rest of the market's like 65, mid-60s on him. So... Uh-oh. Just value there compared to the books. Other other books out there, I think FanDuel has the 80 to 1. But I'm fading Justin Rose. He showed up like low 30s in my model. And that's obviously like I've been on Justin Rose kind of all year, especially the Masters. That was the, the week I really liked him. But my numbers do not like him at all. And then also another like fan favorite recently, especially for DFS. Everybody seems to think this guy's a value every single week is Ryan Palmer. And then I don't even know if he's worth noting like a fade. It's it's a, a big name or used to be a big name. No one really plays this guy or bets on him that much anymore is Ian Poulter. Those guys are just in comparison to like Vegas outright ranks. And then my model, like I have way off on Justin Rose. I think he is top 15 in the out, outright market. Um, Ryan Palmer is probably pretty close to that. I think he's top 20 in the outright market. He didn't crack my top 40. And then Ian Poulter, I don't think he's that high. It's just a guy I'm not going to play anything of. But thoughts on Justin Rose, Ian Poulter, and Ryan Palmer. Yeah, all three of those guys are technically fades for me also. Poulter's 57th overall in my rank. He's 68th from an upside perspective. So if you're looking to punch an outright ticket, that's a negative value there. Palmer's always a guy that my model seems to somewhat like. I was surprised that he was only 25th for me this week, and he hasn't won a solo tournament since 2010. Like something has to be said about that, like that he's not getting it done. He does jump up to 18th for me when I'm looking for you know, upside, he's 32nd for safety, but even still, I mean, maybe at the right number, Palmer always becomes somewhat intriguing, but I have him as a negative value on DraftKings, depending on what price you can get him at in the betting market, he shows up as a slight value. And then Rose is also, I guess, a fade for me too, based off of my numbers. He's 22nd overall, but he's 30th from an upside. Like a lot of the things that are holding him steady for me is just what he's done. I mean, I guess the PGA championship, I mean, if we're throwing that out, then I mean, that makes him a little bit worse. The master's performance was big. He has the miscut at the Valspar. Um, and he has a first and a third here over the last three years, which, you know, I do have a little bit of the course history, but as far as like my model compared to him, he's a negative value on DraftKings. He's a negative value in the betting market. He's a negative value for me when I look at him compared to ownership. So he's just ki- kind of slightly negative across the board. I mean, he's maybe more of a guy that if I was going to play him, which might not make sense because we've seen him pull out of tournaments recently and we do know that there's volatility around him. He might make a little bit more sense from like a cash game perspective on DFS, but I don't really have any interest in playing him for GPPs and I don't have any interest in betting him on an outright ticket, especially at 28 to one. Like that number is wildly overblown. Right. I saw that. I was like, what are we doing here? Um, all right. So it sounds like we're pretty much on the same page there. And Ryan Palmer's like damn near 9K on drafting. So I'm a hard fade there. Top 40s for me. Let's just keep cruising along here. All right. I got a bunch. 
Matt Wallace, I got him priced personally at minus 200 to finish top 40. On FanDuel, he's minus 105. DraftKings, minus 125. So usually, I know both of us don't like to take like a that short of a number on the top 40 market. I did it last week with Paul Casey. I have a similar discrepancy in ranks right now as I did with Paul Casey last week. It paid off. So just because there's not like a plus number there, it's not a sexy thing to bet. I'm not going to run away from it because I feel like this one's damn near a lock. Don't go like crazy on it and bet five units on it. Just whatever like you've been doing with the top 40s, do that. Like I won't go more than probably 0.8 units on it just because I don't get that crazy, especially when I have this many plays. I think I have eight or nine this week. Usually I just have five or six. But Matt Wallace, again, FanDuel minus 105. Next one is my boy, HV3. Seems like we always like him. Um, I got impressed at minus 155. FanDuel has him at plus 125. DraftKings plus 110. So FanDuel, again, is the place right there. It looks like points bet is only going to do top 40s on majors now. So it's a shame I couldn't chain Kim them last week. Moving on. This is a guy my model loves, and I'll talk about him maybe for a minute or two in the outrights. But Cam Davis, a guy I don't usually ever play. I got him priced at minus 155. FanDuel has him at plus 150. So I got a significant 95-point edge there. DraftKings has him down at plus 120. So, again, FanDuel is the place we're going this week. And then Russell Knox, I don't know. My model loves him every week, um, just like HV3. Uh, I can't quit betting on Russell Knox, I guess. I got him priced at minus 140. FanDuel has him at plus 105. DraftKings has him at plus 125. So DraftKings will get a little bit of action from me on Russell Knox. And then Michael Thompson, a guy I personally cannot stand, but – His metrics on this course, like this fits his game. He's not a long hitter by any means, but this is a short course. He's an elite iron player, especially it has been this year. I got him priced at minus 130. FanDuel has him at minus 115. DraftKings plus 125. So DraftKings getting another ticket for Michael Thompson. I have not punched that one yet, so I will see what you say because just personally, I don't think Michael Thompson is an elite golfer. It would not surprise me if he didn't make the cut. Um, Next one, I love this one, Luke List. I have him at minus 130. FanDuel has him at plus 165. DraftKings plus 150. So FanDuel is the place to go if you like Luke List. Next one, Johnny Vegas, your guy. Ever since you kind of talked about him, uh, was it last week you were on Johnny Vegas a little bit? I feel like I'm on Johnny Vegas every single week. Yeah, ever ever since you've been talking about him, I've just kind of been looking for his name a little bit more than usual. But I had him priced at proper as minus 110 to finish top 40 here. So right about even money. DraftKings has a weird plus 138 price right now and FanDuel at plus 165. So Johnny Vegas plus 165. And then I have to say bomb of the week, but I don't really have one this week, but he's plus 200 to finish top 40. That is on DraftKings. On FanDuel, he's plus 140. My price is dead even money. My model seems to like CT Pan a great bit this week. I don't know a whole lot about him, so I was going to kind of dive into him later. I don't think I'll play an outright ticket on him. I don't think he's got winning upside here. But CT Pan would be the last guy to round off my top 40s. He's really cheap on DraftKings. And recent form, I mean, he finished 18th at the Wells Fargo, missed a cut at RBC, missed a cut at the Masters, then got third at the Honda Classic. So those at Honda Classic, we, I kind of like those grades look similar to how I graded this course at Colonial. So Maybe it's just a really good course fit for him, and that finish at the Honda Classic is really weighting him heavily here. But thoughts on Matt Wallace, HB3, Cam Davis, Russell Knox, Michael Thompson, Luke List, your boy, Johnny Vegas, and CT Pan, the bomb of the week, at plus 200 over there on DraftKings to finish top 40. 
I mean, it's hard to argue against anything that you recommend from the top 40 market. It's not really like, you know, I mean, you're, you're pretty, you're definitely outdoing my picks on it over these last couple of weeks. So when I look at it, Pan was a guy that I thought was intriguing also. I, I don't, I mean, he has two top 20s here in the last three attempts that he's played the tournament. He was a positive equity for me pretty much on every way that I ran it for him. And then what what number did you say that you got on him? CT Pan? Yes. Plus 200 on DraftKings. FanDuel is plus 140. And then my proper was just dead even money. Yeah, I mean, mine's a little bit higher than what yours is for it. But, like, it's nowhere near what the plus 200 is. I mean, like, I'm looking more at, like, plus 140 being proper. So I have about 60 points of value there. I, I do really like that play. I hadn't punched a ticket on that yet. But I like where your head's at there. A guy like Jonathan Vegas, my model likes him every single week. I, I don't know. I, I mean, at this point. I, and I, to be honest, I'm not so sure that, like, I want to say I've recommended him, like, six or seven times on this show in, like, 13 episodes. And I'm not quite so sure he's ever actually won a bet for us at any point. So, not an ideal situation. You know, there are... He's due. He's due. I always feel like he's due. But, you know, like, from a safety perspective for me, he's 35th. Overall rank, he's 40th. But he should fit right into that top 40 range. At plus 138, I that was a number I was looking at. I hadn't punched a ticket there either, but... That was one of those ones where it was like right on the fence of what I was going to do. Wallace, I just think, is a really good play until things turn around at this point. Another guy that he really should have come in the top 40 last week. That 55th place finish was, I think, an unlucky result that we got at the PGA Championship. His form looks good. I mean, other than that, I mean, he doesn't have worse than a 34th place result in, what is that, five tournaments before that. So his form seems to be in the right spot. Harold Varner, same kind of thing with him. He seems to worry me. I seem to mention him a lot, and he doesn't necessarily come through either, but he's in the top 25 for me every single way I ran my model. Uh, I know you always mention how you like him more on a shorter course, so you know maybe you get him off the longer course, you get him on something a little bit shorter. It might help his game a little bit. Mathematically, it makes sense from my model. And then I guess like when I look at those two guys, like the one thing with Thompson is – I don't necessarily have it as value at the, I think you said it was plus 125 on him, but I mean, I understand where you're coming from with it. He's a positive equity for me in safety. That's one of the things I always want to look at. He's 46 spots better when it comes to T to green over his last 24 rounds. Uh, he's nearly 50 spots better off the T, not that I'm taking off the T into account, but he's, you know, 17 spots better with his approach. The around the green looks better. So he seems to be a guy that's in good form. I, I mean, I guess one of the things that hurt, him for my model is he just wasn't good on bent grass over the last 50 that's something i'm willing to ignore a little bit the weighted par four scoring um he's 111th for me that's another thing that's more of a fluky statistic like i have 20 percent on it and that's a lot to have for something that like i don't love looking at 50 round sample sizes from you know a 350 to 450 range with that so like i, I can understand that and then the total driving's good and um there's really no red flag for me in GIR percentage or the weighted proximity numbers. I guess with Cameron Davis uh, at plus 150, it's not that it's that far off for me. Like, and that's the thing about it is like, I mean, we're talking very minor discrepancies. Like Cameron Davis is 52nd for me overall. Uh, he's 46 upside, 53rd safety. I mean, I guess those numbers are pretty good for a plus 150 golfer. I mean, he's a slightly negative value the way I have it. His proximity within 100 yards is really good, and his proximity outside of 200 yards is really good for me. I guess those are the two numbers that kind of marks him up a little bit. And then I'm trying to figure out what is 
I mean, not that I don't want to make it like 52nd is bad. He's 28th tee to green. He's 32nd in bent grass. He's 66th on the weighted par four scoring. Uh, 89th in total driving. I guess that's the accuracy factor of it. Like there's going to be forced layups at this course. Uh, his seventh rank in, in driving distance might not come into play as much with it, but I don't know. I, I, not that I dislike either one of those two guys. I think that they're very close to where I have them. But as I said, to start this whole rant, like I would trust your model in this top 40 market. You're humming with it right now. Yeah, but you, I wanted to be talked off of Michael Thompson, so you kind of did it. So I'm, I'm cool with that. I appreciate that because I just I don't want to back this guy. I don't like him. I don't think he's that good. I don't think he like again. If he didn't make the cut, it would not surprise me at all. So I'm good with fading that one immediately. Yeah, and I mean, like maybe at like I guess just for me, like at a different number, it would make more sense. Like like if if I could get you know closer to plus two hundred, like the positive equity I have from the safety perspective is interesting. And safety is is a weird way to say it because I agree with you. I think like I have them right as like a fifty fifty proposition to make the cut, and that's what scares me about it. Is like we're dealing in like he's safer for me than he is from an overall rank perspective, if that makes sense. But like my model's lower on him when I just look at him overall with it, but he's about 50, 50 to make the cut. So it's like, you know, if he makes the cut, maybe you get one of those results. He's been okay at this course over the last three years. He's missed cut in 2019, a 32nd in 2018, a 57th in 2017. I would say he's a better golfer now, but I don't know. I guess it just comes down to a mathematical value with it. There's just little small discrepancies with where I have it, where they should be. I mean, I think Thompson should be higher with it and that would be my thought on those two guys. All good. All right. Um, let's go into your top four. You got anybody that I missed? Uh, yeah, I actually have a couple. Um, I'm going back to the well on Joel Damon this week at plus 138. Uh, 23rd for me overall, 22nd for safety. Uh, that's a, you know a weird plus 138 number on DraftKings, plus 135 on FanDuel. He has two top 20s at Colonial in the last three years, and he ranks seventh in total driving in my model. Uh, added with ninth in proximity. So that's a guy that from a value perspective, I, I was going to go back there. I think his game's in a good form. He got a win here recently. Things seem to be clicking for him. I, I was a little surprised that the next guy graded as highly as he did for me because he never does. And usually I take it as a red flag or maybe there's something that I usually miss with it that my model spotted this time. But Brant Snedeker at plus 150 he, I like Brant too, man. Let's go. All right. I just couldn't punch a ticket on him until someone else did, but he's he's positive for me. Yeah, and, and he's minus 105 on FanDuel, which you know I actually think is closer to what the accurate number is on that. So plus 150 is a good value there. He he gained spots for me in positive equity from safety. Um, it, you know, his form has gotten hot with three top 17s in his last four events. His metrics always improve when he gets a shorter course, and he's a world-class short game for these small greens here. And then I have three, I don't want to call them necessarily bombs because two are over 200 and the other one is a little bit below that. I wouldn't necessarily classify that as bombs, but I don't think these are three guys that most people would initially turn to. I have Brian Stewart at plus 290 on FanDuel. That's a plus 250 number on DK. I have Troy Merritt plus 220 on FanDuel. That's plus 138 on DraftKings. So, I mean, you're looking at, you know, nine plus over 90 points of value there with that. And then the last one would be Vincent Whaley plus 180 on DraftKings. He's plus 165 on FanDuel. That's going to be an extremely small play for me. That is the smallest play of the five. That is just me writing his form. He has seven straight top 36 finishes. 
I don't know if that's going to be sustainable next necessarily, but I'm willing to, yeah, I'm willing to take a small little like bet on it that I'm going to ride what he's doing at plus 180. Um, you know, he jumps 19 spots for me in safety. So that's just something I, I'm going to play for super small there. And then uh, the Merritt and Stewart play will also be a little bit smaller. And then Snedeker and Damon are my two bigger plays for the week. Yeah, I love that. One other guy, uh, Stewart, I was, he was, Stewart and Merritt are actually pretty high on my numbers. So I'm glad you talked about them. One other guy I had here is uh, Joseph Bramlett plus 175 on FanDuel. He's my honorable mention of the week. I didn't, you got any thoughts on Bramlett? Yeah. He's coming off that seventh place finish, I, I think was his last tournament out there, wasn't it, with the Byron Nelson? Yeah, it is. And and Bramlett and Vegas were like the two guys that were my honorable mentions that I didn't end up punching a ticket on, or at least I haven't yet. Bramlett, every single way I ran the model, graded out in the top 40 there. You Let's know, go. The, the one problem I had with it is just, you know, you take certain guys like that, you always wonder what's real and what's not. Miscut potential is always going to be there for players like him, but there's a lot to like. A lot of things graded out profitably, like um, weighted par four would be the one red flag I guess I have. Maybe you could take driving accuracy as being a problem. It's kind of that like Cam Davis thing to where he's going to be better with distance than he is accuracy, but high GIR percentage, good proximity numbers. Like you're able to get around some of that based off of that. So I think it's a good number for him. Okay. I think I'm going to sprinkle a little bit there, but that's probably another guy that just goes unowned in, in DFS. And you could take a take a yeah. look at that. Um, let's move on to outrights and we'll get right out of here. Make it a quick show. So the outrights are have, Man, honestly, again, so many just it's such a top heavy tournament. Like so much of the the winning equity is just jammed up there at front with guys like Spieth, Justin Thomas, Callum Morikawa, Abraham Answers getting a lot of love again, Corey Connors, Berger, Patrick Reed, Finau, Neiman, Scheffler, Zalatoris. I guess you could put Sun JM in there, all these guys that are 30, 30 to one or below, and then it kind of just starts to really go off the rails pretty quickly. So I don't love the outright market, especially for any of those guys. Like, let's say, you know, Jordan Speed, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, they're all under, you know, 15 to 1 on pretty much every sports book out there. I think for those guys, I would just bet live, assuming, you know, maybe one of them starts slow. Like, I always love Jordan Speed in Texas. So, you know, I'll, I'll find some sort of value on Speed somewhere. But the outright set I did punch is um, Kevin Streelman, 65 to 1 on FanDuel. This guy is in great form. My model seems to always get him right, at least on the top 40s. I don't know if he's got winning equity here in this field, but at 65 to one, I will take a chance on that. But with the guy that's just such a good iron player, Cameron Tringali, I know you're fading him this week, but at 80 to one, when the rest of the market's at like 65 to one on FanDuel there, I like that a little bit. Maybe he finally wins a tournament. It should fit his game, but he, his recent form is pretty bad. Um, Colin Morikawa is 14 to one. If I had to choose it, I'm not going to punch that ticket. I think I'd rather just go live. Maybe his putter starts a little slow. He's, three, four, five shots back after day one. Maybe I move then at if we can get like closer to 20 to one. Corey Connors at 23 to one. I, like I just can't get around to betting Corey Connors 23 to one, but he did strike as a little bit of a value. I think I have him proper at 20 to one. And then my last ticket is just Cam Davis, 131. So really the only three tickets I did punch are absolute bombs. So Streelman, 65 to one, Tringali, 80 to one, and Cam Davis, 130 to one. All three of those tickets are on FanDuel. Any thoughts on those guys and then your outright card? Yeah, Strillman was somebody that showed up as really good value for me also. I mean, I guess like the only concern I had with him of why I didn't end up punching a ticket, just he he played four really grueling rounds at the PGA Championship. It doesn't mean that he can't continue it. I think it's an interesting number. He graded as somebody that was, you know, got better when I was looking for win equity, which was kind of surprising because 
like, I agree with you. I don't know if he's somebody that necessarily can win the tournament, but I thought that was an interesting thing. And a lot of that just goes from a statistical perspective. He's seventh for me when I ran all the numbers from it statistically. So, I mean, that's a guy who's going to kind of fit everything I'm trying to do. He's good tee to green. He's good on bent grass. He was really good in my weighted par four. Um, really good total driver because he's accurate, good with his GIR percentage and good in weighted proximity. Like, I don't think any of those categories he was outside the top 30 for me. So he was just a, I mean, I guess there's safety built into that too, but like he was kind of just a positive equity no matter how I looked at him. You know, I touched a little bit on Tringali and Cam Davis with it. Um, you know, I, I think those are two guys that I, I'm not going to be having a ticket on, but I understand where you're coming from. Like it's different when you're looking at an outright perspective and trying to find upside with it. Like you can get around certain little things that you don't like just if you're trying to take the upper tier of whatever that is of a person's you know performance level. And then the top two guys in my model from a win equity standpoint, which actually shocked me with some of these guys that were in the field. Number one for me was Colin Morikawa, which I want to get back to Morikawa in one second. Uh, Connors was number two. I agree with you, unfortunately. Like the numbers may say one thing. I can't really get myself to punch a ticket at him, you know, sub 40 to one, probably. Like I, I know the numbers say one thing, but I just, you know, there's a lot of positives and, at the end of the day, I'm not weighing putting. Something has to be taken into account with how bad of a putter he is. And maybe the same thing could be said about Morikawa with it. But in three and a half years of me running this model, I, I don't know if I've ever had anybody grade as highly as Morikawa did for me. He was like, so essentially the way I do it is I'll take, you know, statistically, I'll take current form. I'll take uh, course history with it and I'll, I'll combine it to equal a number. And so like the number means something, you know, to me, and then I turn it into something else from there, but I'm not so sure that I've ever seen anybody be where he was on my model in three and a half years of doing it. And I only have one outright bet for that reason. I bet Morikawa at 14 to one. I do agree that you may be able to find him at some point, like in tournament, you can get 20 to one, you know, if you're not going to bet him beforehand, I love Nick's way of playing it, of waiting on it. Like, 14 to one is going to take a good performance to be in there. And we know he can get hot at any given moment. So he could make a run, but with him being the only person I'm betting, I'm going to lock in the ticket. I'll try to find somewhere to maybe fit somebody in elsewhere live. Cause I mean, this is going to be a lower exposure week for me. I can find somewhere else. And I'm going to just take the guy who graded out the best for me that I've seen in a really long time. I love it, man. Take a stance. Um, yeah, Morikawa is number one for me as well. So I think I'll probably like he'll be my jam guy in DFS. He's going to be popular. One other ticket, I guess I did overlook here that does have some value. He's same price as Brian Harmon on drafting. Scotty Scheffler, twenty-eight to one. I feel like he should be in this twenty-to-one range with everybody else, and he's just not. So, do you have any value in Scotty Scheffler at twenty-eight to one in Texas? He is a Texas boy, so always like that narrative just because it's fun, but. Last one, I think I do like to have an outright on Scotty Scheffler, and then I'll punch a Morikawa ticket with you to ride there. So I'll have my three bombs, Scheffler at 28 to 1, and then Morikawa at uh, 14 to 1. And it actually kind of lines up for what I can do risk wise right now. Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point earlier, just with like the way that this board is structured. Like one of the reasons why I don't have a ton of natural fades this week is I just think players are priced like I think the top of the board is better than everybody else. And I think at some point you do get a fall off from the players, but I'm like not necessarily looking to fade, you know, Morikawa, Neiman, Berger, Answer, Thomas, Spieth, like you can, Scheffler, I mean, we'll add him to the list. Like any of those guys can win this tournament, I think. 
And I'm going to take a stance with it with Morikawa, but like, I really don't mind anybody picking a couple other spots in there. Like, I think the winner is going to come from that range. One of the guys who blew up my model and I might add a ticket on him. I have not decided yet was Billy Horschel. Uh, he just absolutely imploded my model from like, he is, he was high for me during the match play where I hit him there. He was even higher for me this week. And I don't, I guess like part of the reason is just the form is good. His course history here is good. And he doesn't have any like outlier red flags for me. Like there's nothing that uh, I'm scrolling through really fast. I mean, nothing looks like it's outside the top 50 for him. And I mean, you need more upside than that. And, And the one thing is he was negative for me when I was looking for upside. Maybe he's the guy that, you know, I'll find a head to head on. Maybe I'll play him that way instead. But he was just somebody that was a little bit of an outlier. And I guess Adam Emiliano Grio to that list for me too. Those were the two guys that were 50 to one plus that graded as guys that should have been like top 15 type plays in this tournament. I don't know if Grio can necessarily win this. Uh, and I don't know if he necessarily has the safety for, you know, other things. And, and DraftKings will be a completely different story. He's 20% owned there. Like that might be asking for an implosion waiting to happen, but those are just two guys that graded a little bit higher for me. And the, the one play I did want to mention that uh, was a head-to-head play this week, I'm going to be betting Brant Snedeker minus 120 over Phil Mickelson. It, it's not even so much of a fade against Phil. I, I just think that it was four really stressful rounds of golf for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he starts hot. But I think if Snedeker can get through the cut, I think that we'll see Phil fall off a little bit as the tournament goes on. And I think Snedeker's finish will end up outweighing what Phil does. So I thought minus 120 was a good number. That's at uh, one of the legal sportsbooks. It's either, I think it's DraftKings, if I recall correctly. If it's not, it's FanDuel with that. But just thought that was a, a mispriced thing. And I think it's a little indicative when you look at it. Phil just won the tournament. The public perception is going to be that people probably want to back him again. He's an underdog in the matchup. He's an underdog in every matchup that you look for on him. I thought that one had the best value because most of them you're laying like minus 170, minus 180 for it. And that seemed to be the one that I could, you know, afford most from a bankroll standpoint at minus 120. Hell yeah. I like all that, man. And then uh, Billy Horschel, he is 70 to one on FanDuel, 33 to one on DraftKings. So if you like Billy Horschel, go get a ticket there. Spencer, where can everybody find you on Twitter, my man? Yeah, everybody can find me on Twitter at uh, Tee Sports. You know, thanks as always, Nick. It's a lot of fun doing these shows. You know, it's trying to hold up my end of the bargain this week and hopefully I can get hot with it and we get another big win. We seem to be alternating. Uh, that's the fine. As long as there's winners. That's the one thing I will say. We have pretty much had a winning show. I want to say almost every single week, like there may be a show here or there, but either I've hit an outright or you know, your top 40 market has been incredible with it. So I think there's been good substance on this show. I, I mean, I always get good reviews from the listeners with it. So thank you for everybody who tunes in and listens to this and, Thank you as always, Nick, for everything. Yeah, take care and good luck this week, guys.